The following is a production of Omnis.tv. Tonight's show, I welcome special music guest Bree. I also cover the NBA All-Star Weekend, A Mother's Love, Chubby Checker, the top movies at the box office, and much, much more tonight here on Unsigned. Welcome to Unsigned. My name is Ryan. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Tuesday. Hopefully everything is all right with you out wherever you may be. Hey, I got a great show for you this evening. Wonderful, wonderful uh, music guest tonight. Her name is Bree from Nashville, Tennessee, um, kind of around my part. So I'm very excited to have her on. We'll have her on here in just a moment. But also want a quick reminder to everybody that uh, only two shows left of Unsigned before we switch over to Revelator, which will start March 5th. So quick reminder there for everybody. So definitely check out the uh, promo on uh, Omnus.tv. Uh, Revelator, new show coming March 5th. And Unsigned will be retiring. So we have a, a, a couple great shows for you in Unsigned. And one of those last shows does feature uh, the lovely Bree, who will be joining us here momentarily. I tell you what, that, you know, I'm a big fan of these wacky, crazy stories, and I've got a couple good ones for you tonight. Now, uh, a remote southern Philippine town uh, is actually in mourning over the death of the large, the world's largest saltwater crocodile in captivity. The town plans to preserve the remains of the one-ton crocodile named Lolong. Now, the museum, uh, he's actually going to be kept in a museum so tourists can actually continue to stop and visit uh, this particular community. Lolong was actually declared dead this past Sunday after f- being found floating on his back with a bloated stomach in the uh, Ectrotism Park. Uh, this has obviously begun to draw tourism, and uh, the wildlife experts will perform an autopsy to determine the cause of death. The Guinness World Records has proclaimed that the, the largest saltwater crocodile in captivity last year was measuring... 20 feet, 3 inches, the reptile took the top spot, which was formerly held by an Australian crocodile that measured 17 feet and weighed nearly a ton. So this one, 3 feet, 3 inches longer and weighed a half a ton more. Unbelievable. An estimated more than uh, 50 years old, the crocodile was, and was named after a government official who actually died of a heart attack after traveling to the area, Lolong. Uh, he was one of the ones who actually captured uh the beast, as they call it in the article. Somewhere Steve Irwin is going, Crocky, that's a big crocodile. An antique mirror. Uh, I found this story interesting because I'm into paranormal things, so I found this pretty intriguing. Uh, this couple in London, England, actually sold this mirror for $155. It was an antique mirror that actually found in a dumpster that their landlord had discarded. After about five months of having the mirror, the duo, uh, the couple claimed that they had started suffering uh, a streak of bad luck, including financial problems and even illness, according to the the Daily Mail. The duo claimed that uh, after a while, having possession of the mirror, they ended up waking up screaming in pain, felt a sense of impending doom, and spotted uh, flickering shadows throughout their house. Also adding that the final straw was when the owners woke up with deep red scratches on their arms and back. So what's the natural thing to do instead of just putting the beer back in the dumpster? No, no, you got to make some money off of it. They ended up selling it on eBay for $155, and they did describe that it was a haunted mirror. So I don't know how the description goes for that. I, I, I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find it. Obviously, it had been pulled down, but um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it goes something like this, like not having enough screaming and pain? Have a sense of loss of a pending doom? Here, buy our mirror. So... uh very interesting. Some of the, th- I guess it proves that people will buy anything on eBay. Now, a mother's love knows no bounds, right? Well, this is definitely taking it a little too far. Kimberly Marginson, uh, in New York State, you're talking about showing no bounds. Fifty-four-year-old mother passed two oxycontin pills to a thirty-year-old son while French kissing him during a jailhouse visit. I tell you what, I mean. Dude, really? You're tonguing your mom for a few pain pills in prison? You want to talk about intervention. Intervention is needed immediately on this. Uh, no one loves mom like like that, right? I mean, <laughs> add some pain pills, uh, uh, a prison French kiss. 
and early, maybe it was an early Valentine's Day present. I'm not sure. Uh, that definitely puts the VD in Valentine's Day over this past week. There's no doubt about that. And uh, maybe VD stands for something else in this case. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know how you lead up for a kiss like that with your mom in a, in a, in a jailhouse visit. I'm not really sure how that goes. Uh, William, you know, I guess obviously maybe he was missing some of mom's home cooking. I'm not sure. But uh, that's, uh, that's, you know, I figured I would share that disgusting story with you this evening. You're welcome. Music news. Uh, this is shocking news coming uh, in the country community. A mini McCready died of an apparent suicide this past Sunday night. This was reported originally by CNN. The singer, 37 years old, left behind two young children, one of which was actually 10 months old. McCready, who had, uh, appeared in Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew in 2010, had attempted suicide before and had been committed to rehab for alcohol and mental health issues uh, after Wilson's death, which is her husband. Or boyfriend, I believe, and um, basically, uh, she stated that you know he was uh, my heart, he touched my soul, he was my soulmate. McCready arrived uh, as a Nash in Nashville as a teenager in the mid '90s and scored her number one hit at the age of 20 with "Guys Do It All the Time" in 1996. She followed the success. Uh, with another album, 10,000 Angels, which sold over 2 million copies. Now, uh, we've talked about this not as much recently on the show, but uh, I, I can't say that I was, you know, sat down and listened to a Minnie McCready album by any means, but uh, I, I will say that, you know, we've talked about this on uh, all type of genres, and, and mental health, I think, is widely goes underappreciated. Uh, the severity it can have and the chain reaction that it's going to have. And if you know someone who's, you know, you suspect is having an issue, sometimes you don't even know. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, if you're out there and you're, you know, you're feeling down or whatever it is, not to get too heavy here on the show, but I recommend, you know, you know, reach out, don't, don't hold it in, reach out to somebody, whether it be a parent or friend or heck, even if it's a stranger somewhere or something, you know, to reach out and let someone know that you know, you're having some issues and, uh, it may not be as bad as maybe it's perceived in your mind. And uh, I think if, uh, Maybe more people took some time to maybe listen and, and uh, reach out and show a little bit more humanity. Maybe some of these things wouldn't happen. Maybe people wouldn't feel so closed off. But uh, that's just my quick take on it. My heart goes out to the kids. It's going to be a really hard situation losing uh, their father and their mother within really about a month of one another. So uh, really a sad story all around. Again, not to get too heavy here on the show tonight, but uh, uh, Philly is definitely worth mentioning. And uh, we'll move on tonight uh, with Lady Gaga. What else we could follow that story, right? Uh, Lady Gaga has canceled her Born This Way ball, which was set to run 22 more nights at the uh, starting on March 20th, and which will actually lead to nearly $30 million uh, in refunds, according to the Polestar data. Uh, it's you know a big loss. Now, last year, her tour was one of the highest grossing tours at $161.4 million, again, quoting the Polestar, only behind Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, Roger Waters, and Coldplay. Uh, it's unclear when uh, Lady Gaga will be uh, able or cleared uh, by a physician to continue her tour, and uh, she's actually currently in a wheelchair at this point in time. And Travis Barker of the band Blink-182 uh, says he has good reason for not flying. Obviously, if you're not familiar with the story, he actually was in a near-fatal near crash in September of 2008. He says, I'm sorry to announce that I will not be joining Blink-182 on its Australian tour. I still haven't gotten over the horrific events that took place the last time I flew on a plane where, you know, obviously four of the people were killed in that accident, uh, two of them being my best friend, Barker wrote uh, this on his Facebook page. Barker uh, gave the band his blessing to, uh, to recruit uh, a tour replacement. I hope to come on Australia soon, if, even if I have to do it by ship. Unfortunately, uh, there was not a boat that worked in our schedule. Once again, I'm sorry to all our fans. Barker survived the crash in 2008 and received uh, severe injuries. He was on the show for quite some time. Another survivor, DJ AM, who actually died of a drug overdose in 2009, uh, was the other survivor of that. looks like currently uh, Tenacious D's drummer, Brooke Wackerman, is going to be playing with Blink-182 on their Australian shows, which kicks off actually, uh, well, in Australia, it would be today in Sydney. So, uh, the, hey, Brooke Wackerman is, is a great drummer, and, uh, you know, I, Travis Barker to come out and say that I think is is important to say. So uh, best luck to him to getting over his uh, phobia flying. Hopefully, uh, you know, obviously a traumatic experience. It's going to take some time to get over. And if you're a fan of Bonnaroo, you know, today Bonnaroo announced some of the main headliners to feature in this summer's festival 2013, which takes place in Manchester, Tennessee. Paul McCartney, Mumford & Sons, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are some of the big heavy hitters mentioned for 2013 Bonnaroo, which is set for June 13th. To the 16th, where else again but Manchester, Tennessee. Should be a good time. Now, here's a twist, a chubby checker twist, if you will. Chubby checker is suing, suing over a novelty app bearing the name that allows users to guess someone's penis size. Thus, 
the name of the app called the Chubby Checker. It allows users to enter the man's foot-sized estimate uh, his endowment. Now, the app was originally available for 99 cents on the Palm OS, which was ditched in 2009 for an upgraded Palm Web OS. Uh, HP acquired Palm in 2010. Uh, to distance themselves from the app in a statement, uh, this application was not created by HP or Palm, said HP. It was removed in September of 2012. It is no longer available on any platform. So uh, <clears throat> I wear size 14. Uh, Chubby Checker is suing for $500 million. You want to talk about a chubby checker. Wow. Now, he's obviously better known for his uh, hit song, The Twist, which took number one on the hits in 1960 and again in 1962. Again, the chubby checker app was only downloaded 84 times. There's only 84 people interested in chubbing, checking their chubby checker, but not the actual chubby checker. So uh, I guess you're just going to have to stick with doing the twist. No more chubby checking going on around here. Now, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Coming to the unsigned show this evening, hailing from Nashville, Tennessee, the one, the only, Brie. <laughs> hello, hello. Hey, Brie, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, again, I want to thank you for taking the time out for us tonight. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Hopefully the uh, the beginning of the show wasn't too rough for you there. Sometimes I always wonder what like guests that, are thinking. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, like man, it. what did I get myself into in this guy's show? But uh, <laughs> I like it. But, I like it a lot, really. <laughs> right on, cool. Well, hey, uh, I know you have a wide range of interest musically, uh, and it's, it, it, I think, indicative of the music we're going to hear tonight from you. I'm curious, what are your early memories of music that really piqued your interest? Um, I know that when I was like preschool, kindergarten age, I loved rock and roll. And I remember rocking out in the back seat of the car with my dad to like Humble Pie and Beatles and and Buddy Holly. And then there was uh, my favorite, The Who. And so I was spoon-fed rock and roll at a very young age. <laughs> so very nice. Now. Now, I'm curious, you know, obviously, you know, you're notorious for playing the uh, the Flying V. I have to ask, what was the first guitar you actually received as a gift? As a gift? Um, my dad got this, like, super cheap Fender acoustic guitar, <laughs> and I couldn't stand it. So, I, yeah, I think I've, yeah, that was the first guitar ever gifted to me, but it wasn't electric, unfortunately. Yeah, so what, what was your uh, first electric, electric guitar, if you remember? It was an Epiphone SG, bright candy apple red with a black pick card. And I loved it. I, I was like 13 years old, and I saved up all of my babysitting money for it. I just thought I was so badass. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> right on. Now, do you remember the first songs you played on that guitar? I know um, the first thing I that I ever learned on it was like a – I don't. I don't remember. I'm trying to think. I, I know the first song I ever learned was "Blackbird," and I finger picked it. And then the next song I learned was a Green Day song, and I, I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> so many covers all your life. I don't remember. Right. Hmm. Very cool. Now, uh, I, I again, your musical interest is pretty wide. You mentioned Green Day, Buddy Holly, and I, again, I, I think your music definitely shows your diverse interest. Now, uh, you originally, I think you grew up, I believe, in, in Oregon, right? Now, um, obviously, a, a lot of time in between, you know, from growing up there. What what brought you to Nashville uh, originally? Well, I've I've lived in more places than I care to remember, <laughs> but um, but I moved here from Palm Springs, California. And um, basically, I, I, the reason why I even started all of this was because um, this is what I was meant to do. I've always felt like that, that I needed to be doing this. And it was difficult to find somebody who shared the same passions as me to, you know, really put their heart and soul into it with me, you know. So I met my drummer and manager, David, on my 21st birthday in Palm Springs. And um, immediately, we just started talking about rock and roll. And it just kind of sped off from there, and I started writing, and I shanghaied him him, him into being my drummer. <laughs> and then, I, I would then imagine you probably didn't have to do Nashville. too much coaxing for that, right? Yeah, well, it was funny. We were sitting down to like sign all the papers because he was going to be my manager. I'm signing the contract, and I was like, 
you know, I can't sign this. And he's like, well, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? And I, I made it fair. And I'm like, no, it's, I said, I'm not going to sign this unless, you know, you agree that you'll be my drummer on the road and on, and, uh, at shows. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, okay. So I had to, I had to put it in the contract and then, it, then I was, then it was cool. Right on. Well, uh, judging by the drum tracks I, you know, I've heard on the songs, he, you, you made a wise choice. Uh, He's amazing. Has there been any, any downside at all uh, as far as moving to Nashville? Any, any you know, um, down times you remember it? You know, or has it pretty much been a pretty smooth road for you since being here? When I, when I first got here, it was a little rough because, you know, you're the new kid in town and you're jumping right into the scene. And um, I, we hadn't found my bassist yet. So I was just doing like little acoustic you know, rounds just because I was bored. <laughs> like, you know, I, I really want to play. I was getting, you know, cabin fever. I didn't have any very many friends, and um, yeah, the the country some some of the some of the country people weren't too fond of my lyrics. <laughs> I can see that, yeah. <laughs> Which actually only made it more entertaining for me, but um, that was the only downside. And eventually, you know, now these people are my good friends, and especially once we got our electric band all put together with my bassist and everything this town has been so good to me i mean so good the people are kind and you know i have other musician friends who are in other bands and they go out of their way to come to my shows and i go out of my way to go to their shows and it's this very rare camaraderie especially in the rock scene here very cool now uh speaking of Things going well this past year, 2012. You were named the Raw Artist of the Year for Nashville. Uh, talk to me about you know just how great that is to to win that award, especially in, in a town such as Nashville, and you know just you know kind of how that's kind of propelled your uh, you musically. It you know Raw is what broke me. I am so thankful for Raw. Um, I was not expecting to win whatsoever. <laughs> I was the only rock act as far as the nominees went in my category. And um, I, was, I was extremely shocked and humbled and just extremely happy. And uh, it was such an adventure. I met amazing people. It's really something that helped my career immensely. I mean, I walk around town and they're like, hey, yeah, you're Brie that won, you know, the Raw Awards. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> This is rad. I'm so thankful for it. Very cool. Now, I imagine it's, it's probably nice, you know, you know, walking around, you know, if you're on Broad Street or Second or something, and someone's like, hey, I saw you at, you know, such and such a place, or, oh, you, you know, you won that award. That's got to be pretty gratifying, I would imagine, right? It's so humbling, and it's just, it's very, it's very satisfying because, you, you know, we work so hard, and we really put our heart into it, so it's just, it makes it such a great experience when you know that other people are enjoying what you do. Very cool. Now I know you know. Speaking of working hard, I know you've been working on, you know, a new album, which I believe is set for May release. Is that right? That's right. That's the plan. Wonderful. Now, uh, what can uh, your current fans and I, you're going to have a lot of future fans, I would imagine as well. Uh, what can your your fans expect uh, from this album that's going to come out in May? It is just completely and totally just rock and roll. It's just fresh and it's new. It's just got it's sexy. It's risque. And it's danceable, and you can sing to it. Very melodic. It's fun. Uh, I agree 100% with everything you just said. <laughs> I think people are, are really going to eat this up. Uh, it's refreshing. I think, you know, and I, I, I've talked to, you know, with Mike and some other people, you know, about you coming on the show. And I'm like, you know, I was like, you always look for, you know, always try to find like that sound. Like, you know, there's always seems, you know, there a lot of buddies, you know, a lot of great artists out there. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, when I first heard your, heard you, I was like, wow, this is, there's just something ab about you. And I think this next song tonight, which I believe is the first single off the new album, You Can't Take the Heart Out of Me. Uh, talk to me about the writing process behind this song and, and kind of the, you know, who is this song about, if I dare ask? <laughs> Um, it's a con it's a conglomerate of things. Um, this happens a lot, you know. I'll be feeling a, a few things all at once, and I'll take different things from different places in my life. Um, it does have a lot to do with my my father, who you know is a pastor of a religious cult in Oregon. He kicked me out on the street when I was seventeen, wow. and um, yeah, it's that, and mixed with the negativity I've received from people I thought were close to me and instead I was, you know, they just shunned me. So that was, I was very, feeling very emotional when I wrote that song and I think it really, 
it shone through. I got my point across. No, <laughs> oh, I definitely believe so. I like your lyrics. They're they're, they're very. Uh, they're not always suggestive, but they're, a lot of times they're very, very straight to the point. I really dig that about you. And those people that shunned you are definitely kicking themselves right now. I'll tell you what, let's, <laughs> let's, take, a quick, let's take a quick break and uh, let's jam this tune and we'll come back and chat some more. Is that cool? That's great. Wonderful. This is Bree here on Unsigned. You can't take the heart out of me. Baby, I'm through All these ones you built Just won't hold to you And I'm so tired of feeling like I'm trapped by you I feel like I need some space from this place To fill me up this way in my eyes Tongue is so twisted as you smile at my face I don't know why Here on Unsigned, you can't take the heart out of me. Now, Bree, you talked about the new album coming out in May. Now, I know you just did a photo shoot this past week or so. Uh, talk to me about you know how fun it is you know taking these pictures, getting all this put together, and uh, how much fun you had with these photos. I tell you what, I, I've seen not all the photos. I've seen a lot of the photos, and you look outstanding in them, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. And it's it's hard for me because I have such a quirky personality that like when I'm in a photo shoot. My natural thing is just to be silly. I mean, it's just really hard for me to keep a straight face like that. <laughs> I'll be completely honest. Like, I just, you know, I'm sitting on this motorcycle. All the employees are standing there at, you know, the Harley Davidson place just staring at me. <laughs> and I'm like, uh. <laughs> it was, I felt really on the spot, but it made it more fun because I thrive in awkward situations. So, you know. We we had fun, and um, the photographer, he's just, he's one of my good friends, and he always makes it entertaining for me, and of course, my manager's there, which <laughs> makes it fun, too, because he, he, he knows how to get a rise out of me. He'll say certain things, and he'll, he'll just be like, well, so-and-so read that, wrote that song, you know, that says this. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd be like, they'd snap it, and it would actually end up being a, a good face. <laughs> it was fun. Very cool. It looks like you had a lot of fun doing it. Now, I have to ask you, I mean, if you weren't making music, would would you be doing modeling or what would you be doing if you, if you weren't making music? Oh, my 
goodness, I don't, I've never thought of that because I've never thought of an alternative. <laughs> um, what would I be doing? Let's see, I'd probably be, I'd, oh my God, I don't even know how to answer this question, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably be a promoter or something or like have something having to do with, you know, I'd probably own my own venue or something. Very I cool. Know. I could definitely Either, see that. I think I could do it. <laughs> or tour manager <laughs> or something like that. Right on. Very, very cool. Now, uh, I'm curious about you know your writing process. Your lyrics, are, obviously, I, I really dig your lyrics. They're very strong and very opinionated. Uh, and also, I mean, the guitar riffs are great. I mean, typically, how does a song come together for you? Is it typically, you know, you kind of have a riff, you're just, you know, hanging out and you have a riff and then you write the lyrics or is it kind of a combination of the two? Like, what usually comes first for you? Always the riff. I, you know, I always seem to have something that's, you know, upsetting me or really just, you know, I don't know. I'm always feeling something. So I'll just, every day for a few hours, I'll just sit on my couch with my flying V and I just have fun. I just play my guitar. And then if I, I hear something, I'm like, hey, yeah, I like that. And then I take whatever's, you know, bugging me at the time or just right there on the edge of my mind and I'll just start flowing. It's always the riff first, though. The riff first, and the the words come. And sometimes, you know, it's sometimes it's the words first. There's times where I I have to keep my phone right by my bed, because it's gonna sound really weird. But sometimes, whenever I'm sleeping, like I'll be dreaming that I'm writing a song, because I do it every day, and I'll just be dreaming I'm writing a song, and then I'll wake up and be like, oh my god, that was such a good line, and I'll like write down. <laughs> I'll write down lyrics from my dream. Like there was a few that came out of um, a song I wrote called Forbidden Fruit. That that song, I wrote a few lines down from writing in my dream. See, I, I don't think I that's weird at all. I'm, I'm a nut. I don't th- I'm a nut. <laughs> no, no. I, I tell you what, I, um, and Mike can testify to this too. Uh, I mean, I don't do as much writing uh, as I used to as far as poetry and stuff, but I used to do that all the time where I would be, you know, I'd have, you know, I used to travel a lot when I, when I lived in Ohio and, you know, and I would be driving and this random idea would come in my head. And, you know, the best idea is the ones that you, you never get down on, you know, you never get on paper. So I'd just pull over on the side of the road and, you know, Jot, scribble something down on a napkin or something real quick, or you know, I jump out of bed in the middle of the night, or jump out of the shower and be like, "Oh, that's a great line. I got to write that down. And I'll write it down, you know, and then go back to doing whatever I was doing." So I don't, I don't think that's weird at all. I think that's sometimes, I, again, some of the best ideas you come up with at the random moments, and you just have to get them down somewhere somehow. So I, I think that's cool that you do that. Absolutely, you have to because every time you're like, "Oh, I'll remember that," you never do. Yeah, it always, <laughs> yeah. It always disappears. And you're like, "Damn, it was so good." Yeah, you, you're like, oh, no, I'll remember, I'll remember. And then, like, later on, you're like, ah, man, what the heck was that? And you'll try to yeah. reduplicate it. Oh, and it just and, never quite uh, sounds the way it should originally when it did, you know? So. And then it just makes you hate yourself at that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're just like, this stupid pen, this paper. Ugh, it just, you know. Oh, I had all the resources. <laughs> Now uh, I will switch gears on you a little bit here, Bree. Now, um, and I, and I apologize. I was supposed to come see you live uh, last month, and I, I didn't able to. I was sick, and then I had family out of town, so I still need to come see you live. I really do need to come see you. Well, and, if uh, you, I know you can't make it to the twenty sixth show, the show I have at the High Watt on February twenty sixth, seven. But I'm going to be. Um, I was invited to play, you know, be a special guest at um, the Raw show on Thursday night on the twenty eighth. Okay. Yeah, so um, we'll be playing like four or five songs there, and that'll be a blast. That's at the Cannery Ballroom. Wonderful. And, okay. Uh, well, uh, yeah. we'll have to uh, – we'll talk afterwards, and we'll, we'll have to plan it out. I'd definitely like to come see you play. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of, of live shows, I know uh, a lot of – I've heard a lot of people, uh, interviews, reviews of you. Uh, your live show is a big-time rush. I know you get – you really love playing live. I, 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 oh, I've I heard live some for interviews. it. What, is, what are people in, in, in store for when they see you play live? High energy, um, sexual. I like talking to the crowd a lot. You know, I like acting like we're buddies, you know. And I, people really seem to feed off of that. And I love that I can, you know, we can interact together and it's really fun. And it's just expect to see something fresh and new that you haven't really seen before. And, and please, dance. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Wonderful. Gets, gets me all excited. 
<laughs> now you, you mentioned you mentioned pr- provocative. Has, has have you ever been in front of a crowd that maybe uh, seemed a little uptight? Have you ever said anything just to kind of get an uprise out of, out of a group or uh, uh, an audience well, you know, before? I'm I wear like I said, you know, I wear my part on my sleeve. I'm, you know, my a lot of my songs. Some of my songs are about you know, ones about three ways. Ones about me with a girl. You know, some of them are about men. I'm just very open and I love everybody. So, yeah, there's sometimes I say things. <laughs> you know, there'll be girls in the front row and be like, hey, I see you. Hey, hey. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'll like pull my shirt down to show more of my cleavage. <laughs> and just people will laugh. <laughs> Mike, like we're canceling next week's show, man. I'm going to see Brie Live. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, do do you have any uh, pre-show rituals at all? Oh, yes. I definitely do. Um, I'm very serious about my voice. I take very good care of my vocal cords. Um, from the minute I wake up, I nothing cold will ever touch my throat and, you know, until after the show. Uh, the first thing I do is I juice pineapple because it's an anti-inflammatory, and it just helps me sing. And I always have that on hand, too, right before I go on stage in a, in a little cup that's like room temperature. And so I, I drink that, and all day I just drink my special tea, this throat coat tea. And uh, then right, like a couple hours before I go on, I'll go and I'll have sushi, and I'll just drink hot sake, and then I, I kind of, don't tell anybody, but I kind of sneak it into this little carafe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I order another one, and they kind of look at me like I'm a lush, and I'm like, eh. And they walk away, and I just, under the table, you know, pour the whole thing in. <laughs> <laughs> this little and, and then I, I'm drinking it on stage, and nobody ever really <laughs> knows any better. It's my, it's it's perfect. It's warm, and it makes me completely, totally uninhibited and just frisky as hell. So, it's fun. Very nice. Sounds sounds like it sounds like a good time. Uh, I'd imagine frisky is, is definitely a good time now. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite live performers, uh, either you know that you've seen or that you've you, you look up to, or you know, is there anyone out there that? And you know, I love all the I love all the older rockers who are still just kicking ass, like Aerosmith and Cheap Trick. I saw them at the Bridgestone Arena in December, and they just blew my mind. I was just like, they made me so happy to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, this is proof that you can do it your whole life. Just for the passion of it, you know. Well, I, yeah, I think I mean Rolling Stones right there too with you. You know, Bruce Springsteen is yeah. another one. I mean, you know, you look Absolutely. at the. I mean, those guys are still today sharp. I mean, they go out there and they really put on some great shows. Oh, they're amazing. I mean, it, it impresses me. I even saw uh, Wanda Jackson here um, a few months ago, and she was so it, it was so inspiring. I mean, she was just a love. You know, she talked to us like we were her kids. And then she'd just start rocking out with this band, and I'm like, "This is amazing!" You know, she's she's still going, and she's one of my influences too. And um, I saw, I don't know, I just love live shows. I don't, I don't know. I think every time I see a live show of someone who's really good like that, it really inspires me. It definitely turns me on and makes me want to write more. You know, wonderful. Well, and I think you know, with your music, you could definitely feel you know, your passion and your drive behind it. And that kind of leads us into our next song tonight is I'm the Boss. Okay, well, you're the boss. Uh, th- this song, I mean, great guitar yeah. work. Vocally, it's great. Uh, the lyrics, uh, I think uh, you're crazy to think he'd leave me for you is one of the lines in the song. <laughs> um, care, to share, care to share more about, um, about this song and, and what the lyrics are uh, kind of about or maybe who it's about even? It's not a it's not a specific person. It's just sure. that um, being a woman who loves women and uh, having kind of you know you want you want this other third person to know that you're the boss. Okay, I'm bringing mm-hmm. you in. You're the lucky one, but I'm the boss. You do what I say. And and there's been you know girls in the past who have tried to take my man. Okay, that's a tall order, I would assume, right? And it's and it's like whoa whoa whoa. <laughs> I don't get jealous. I just set them straight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Bree. Well said. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, uh, let's jam this tune right now. It is uh, I'm the Boss by Bree here on Unsigned.
Bree here on Unsigned with I'm the Boss, hanging out with Bree. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, you're enjoying some red wine, having yourself a wonderful evening with us. We appreciate it. You know, working hard. You know, and, you know, getting the album finished, coming out in May. Do you have a title for for the album, by the way? I think it's just going to be Bree. Nice self-titled album. I, I dig yeah. that. Um, yeah, self self-titled album. Wonderful. Now, uh, being a full-time musician, I have to ask. W- if you do, when you do have free time, what do you enjoy doing? Any any hobbies or personal interests you care to share with us tonight? I have a thing for making rock and roll collages. I'll just sit and I'll. I have probably a huge stack, about probably two feet high, of Rolling Stone magazines from you know starting in like you know right when they began. I mean, I collect you know vinyl and all that stuff, and and. It, I have so many awesome magazines with all these rockers. And I just cut them all out. I'll spend hours doing it and make collages and frame them. Very cool. And, yeah, that's what I do. And then I, I love to go out with my friends, of course, and I'm a huge cigar smoker. Love my cigars. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, I've seen a couple of the uh, the photos with you hanging out smoking the cigars, so you're looking very sexy doing that, of course. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't mind me saying, but uh, I have to ask him, is there any current current bands out there, artists that you're uh, listening to in your free time? Like current as in like in my yeah, generation? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, I, I, know if, I mean, if anybody at all. I mean. <clears throat> I, I've always loved the Foo Fighters. Does that count? I mean, I love the Foo Fighters. Um, trying to think who else. Oh, man, I'm such an old school girl. Uh you know, besides like dance music every once in a while, but my heart was really in rock. So it's like Green Day. And I even like Good Charlotte. I like, um, you know, I love Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it either. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I no, say, no, I not at all. I just to your reaction. <laughs> I, I paused for a second. I wasn't sure if you were joking or because we've had other people joke about. Yeah, I, I think uh, we had someone else uh, on. I think it was uh, Travis from Fanatica about three months ago. He goes, yeah, I got a, a Nickelback CD and I use it for a coaster now. Or I suggested that he could use it as a coaster because he wasn't happy with the CD or whatever for as a Christmas gift. But uh, but no, I you know whatever people like is what you like. I mean, um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, there's a lot of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 a lot of um and we've talked about this on the show with a lot of artists that you know I, I think FM radio and, and you can chime in on this as well if you like I mean uh it's you know you turn it on and it's the same songs they've been playing for 15 years like you know in yeah. sprinkle in with a couple new ones and then the new ones are kind of unassuming and they're just kind of you know they're 4 minutes of filler typically at least that's my view Yeah I I wish there would be I wish stations would you know really showcase the new talent that's coming up because it's it's this is there's going to be a new generation i really believe that there's going to be this amazing generation of rock and roll and right now the rock scene just needs to be woken up it's just been like dormant it's 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 been awful there's just been a drive spell so it's you know i feel like it's and i have to help too you know it's it's my job and other artists rock artists job we need to shake it up and make some noise and wake it up. We need to get our stuff out there. Get ourselves on the radio. It's a lot of it has to do with self-promotion too. No, and I agree. I think uh, this kind of parlays into my next question about, you know, the industry uh, as a whole and the music industry. I mean, you know, it's obviously, I mean, it's changed quite a bit in the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so. And I think it's changing obviously really literally daily, but um, how do you see, the music industry right now, I mean, obviously, you know, it's not as important, I guess, to maybe be signed to like a big major label or something and maybe oh, no. as it used to be 20 or 30 years ago where you can kind of, there's avenues now with social network and websites and, you know, internet stations and things where you can kind of get your music out there. What, uh, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, we, how I feel about labels is like, honestly, for me, I, I don't, I personally wouldn't want to be signed to a label. I, I'm, I don't do well with, um, I wouldn't do well with them trying to tell me what to look like, who to be, you know, oh, I think you need to do this. I wouldn't do well with that. So we've got our own label. It's Werewolf Tunes, and, and I get to do Brie constantly, which is a blessing, and I love that. Um, I just – and fans don't care what label you're on. 
Nope. You know, they want good music. They want to see, you know, deliver and perform and they want to feel like they can connect with you. And um, so that's my take on the, the music industry is, is odd now. I'm still figuring it out. I'm really lucky to have a manager who knows all the ins and outs and he's brilliant and smart. And, <laughs> and we pretty much made a deal that I do everything as far as creativity goes and writing and I let him do all the <laughs> stay out of it. I let him do all the business aspects because yeah, I write songs for a living for a reason. <laughs> right on. Well, no, I mean, uh, we spoke, I, I had the pleasure of speaking with your manager and, uh, you know, talking with him, getting you on the show and he's great. He was great to work with, really easy to work with. So you're, it seems like you're really great hands now. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you mentioned shaking up the, the, the rock world, and and I like to think that uh, maybe this is my own ego talking here, but I like to think that we here uh, at Unsigned, moving into the new show Revelator, are gonna uh, we're gonna stand. I'm gonna try to stand dead center of that as best as I can. Now, uh, when I first heard the song that we're gonna close out the show tonight with, I went, "Wow, this is exactly." what was needed, what I needed to hear at that time. And I think a lot of other people really need to hear it too. Cause I think when they hear it, they're going to go, yes, that that's exactly, that that's exactly what we need. Something different, something refreshing. You know, it, it's a, it's a nice twist on, it's not, you know, just rehashed material. It's, it's really refreshing. And, uh, I, I thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I love your voice. You have a unique oh, sound. Thank you. You know, I, I like you know the sex appeal. You know the whole you have the whole, you're really the whole package, and uh, I'm really putting it on you thick here, Bree. But um, wow. no, I, I mean that 100. Um, percent And the last song tonight is whiskey. Talk to me. Every, when I heard it, I was like, I want to go get a shot of whiskey right now. Uh, how fun! How <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was whiskey is a true story, completely true story. Um, well, all of my songs are true stories. This this one is like on, based on one guy and. I was nuts about him, right? And uh, we had the most dysfunctional relationship. We didn't even have a real relationship. It was just so bad. Um, basically, during the day, he just did not give a shit about me whatsoever. And, you know, we, we were in the same group of friends, so we were always hanging around. But, I, you know, me, I'm not a clingy girl. I'm not going to throw myself at a guy, you know. I have too much pride for that. <laughs> So when it came to us drinking and partying, I knew that once he started drinking whiskey, that we would, no matter where we were at, we would find a way. It would happen. I would, I would get some lemon. So every, you know, when I could, when I'd, I'd literally, I would smell it on his breath and I'd be like, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> it was terribly dysfunctional. But I mean, it worked at the moment, and it made for a great song. <laughs> well, yeah, no doubt. Uh, hey, I, I think everybody's had those dysfunctional relationships. I, I've trust me, I've, I've definitely had mine. There's no doubt about that. I'm not. That's a whole. Right. No, that's a whole other show where you have to put me on a couch and interview me. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I tell you what, if people are interested, I believe they're going to be. If people are interested in finding out about your music, your new album that's coming out in May, how can they, you know, get a hold of you if they if they want to? The best place I would tell you to go is my Facebook fan page, which is facebook.com forward slash Brie Music. And please have a listen to my music, and don't be afraid to drop me a line. I always write back. And then you can get a hold of me on Twitter. It's at Brie Flying V. Once again, I always write back to everybody. So I also have Instagram. I love Instagram, and I'll follow back. It's at Brie Flying V as well. So keep in touch, people. I'll be right around. On. Wonderful. I, I, it's been a pleasure this evening, Bree. Hopefully you had a good time. And we close tonight with whiskey. I don't have any whiskey, but uh, I definitely wish I did. And uh, <laughs> best of luck to you. We'll definitely keep in touch and we'll hook up and I will definitely come see you live and uh, look forward to, uh, you know, look forward to seeing you sometime. I sure hope so. I can't wait. Wonderful. Well, Bree, enjoy uh, the rest of your evening. Enjoy your wine and uh, we will be in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you, hon. Thank you. This is Whiskey by Bree here on Unsigned.
Bree with whiskey here on Unsigned. And again, uh, thanks to Bree for stopping in. Uh, lovely lady. And uh, definitely check her out uh, and her music. Her new album coming out in May titled Just Bree. And uh, I tell you what, that's going to be a great CD. I tell you what. And I, hey, we got a lot of other great things to cover tonight. And kind of a somber note. Uh, you know, as you know, everyone knows I'm, I'm a big NBA fan. We haven't talked a lot of NBA lately, but I want to kind of get into that. Dr. Jerry Buss, longtime owner of the Los Angeles Lakers, passed away this Monday after an 18 month battle of cancer at the age of 80 years old. Now, Jerry Buss, Dr. Jerry Buss, bought the Lakers in 1979 for $67.5 million. At the time, it was the biggest purchase in sports history. In his tenure as Lakers owner, one of the best owners, not only in, in the NBA, but probably in all sports, and including football, baseball. Baseball is debatable as far as Yankees go, but in his ten, excuse me, in his thirty-three years, the Lakers only missed the playoffs two times in his thirty-three years as an owner of the organization and won 10 championships, 1980, 82, 85, 87, 88, 2001, or 2000, 2001, 2002, 2009, and 2010. And he also owned WNBA team, the Los Angeles, uh, the women's team, and also won two championships with them as an owner as well. And uh, again, uh, not only did the, did the Los Angeles Lakers lose uh, an icon of the business, the NBA lost an icon. Uh, as far as owners go. And, uh, yeah, I'm not a Lakers fan by any means, but I definitely understand, you know, and, and can grasp that, you know, the legacy that he built as an NBA owner. And, uh, his, his, one of his last wishes was that his family continued to own the Lakers. And his sons, uh, said they will honor that wish. Uh, Dr. Jerry Buss, uh, passed away this Monday at the age of 80 years old. Definitely will be missed in the NBA community and the sports community overall. That leads me into All Star Weekend. Now, typically, the events are, are pretty good, uh, except the dunk contest. Last year was awful. This year was no different. Dunk contest was awful. I'm sorry. It just wasn't good. When you miss, when you only make 30% of the dunks you attempt in a dunk contest, that's not good. That's bad, okay? Just just in, in case any NBA officials uh, are listening, it's not good. You, you need to get some big names in here. They need to do something to get these stars involved. You need to get the main guys like LeBron, Blake Griffin. Yeah, he did the dunk contest. He's only done it once. Uh Dwight Howard, he did his check. He did it a couple years. Uh, heck, even Mr. Antisocial Kobe Bryant w- won a dunk contest early in his career. So this year you have, this is another names in the dunk contest this year, okay? Gerald Green, former winner, the bench player. Terrence Ross, rookie from Toronto. James White, I never heard of the guy until now. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, backup, uh, point guard for the Los Angeles Clippers. Jeremy Evans, last year's winner, which isn't saying much. is one of the worst dunk contests I've ever seen. And Kenneth Free, known as the Manimal from Denver, played at Moorhead State. So the winner is Terrence Ross, by default, I guess, because I, you, you were able to dunk the ball through the hoop. Congratulations, you're the dunk contest winner. That's basically what it felt like. Uh, they need to do something to get some of these uh, bigger names involved, whether it be for charity, uh, an incentive with the labor union where you know they get you know something. Now, a lot of uh, the events were, were done for charity. I think over $500,000 was raised for uh, Boys and Girls Club and those type of things during the NBA All-Star Weekend uh, during the events. But I think more can be done, more can be given to charity, try to get some of these bigger names involved, make it for charity, have some fun with it, and get the bigger names involved and get people's attention. That's the only way the dunk contest is ever going to be relevant again, as far as I'm concerned. You know, you're not going to see Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan again. Those days are long gone. And the only way they're going to do that is get, you know, nothing against the guys that are in. They're in the NBA, they're good players, but they don't draw a crowd. Now, the three-point shootout, you want to talk about amazing. Cleveland Cavalier Kyrie Irving is two points shy of setting a record in the three-point shootout. This kid hit 15 three-pointers in a row in the three-point shootout finale, 17 of 18 three-pointers. Unbelievable performance, one that many, including myself, will remember watching. Unbelievable. And, you know, usually in the last couple of years, I've been kind of down in three-point shooting. It hasn't been very good. For him to come out and hit 15 in a row and 17 out of 18 was unbelievable. Congratulations to Kyrie Irving. And he was also amazing Friday night uh, in the rookie sophomore uh, 
Rising Stars Challenge as well, scoring 30-some-odd points. And, you know, I'm sure everybody saw the crazy crossover. They had guys falling over their feet and stuff on the floor. It was unbelievable. The game itself was uh, what you would expect from the NBA All-Star game. A lot of the media has been bashing, oh, it's awful, oh, it's awful. What do you expect? This is an All-Star game. These guys aren't going to go out and, uh, you know, risk injury uh, when they have these multimillion-dollar contracts and these agreements. They're going out there to have some fun, entertain the crowd, put some dunks on. It got competitive late like it always does every year. It was a competitive game late. Um, yeah, it was 120, you know, it was in the one in the 130s, 140s scoring-wise, but uh, it got competitive late. It was it was a fun game to watch. Uh, people were like, oh, I want to see more defense. No, I, I don't want to see a bunch of defense uh, in the All-Star game. I want to see guys running up and down the floor, you know, dunking and, and the crazy behind-the-back passes, between-the-leg passes. Chris Paul won the MVP because he was outstanding. And all the great passes, setting up all the players around him, getting to see the All-Star score and the buns. I thought it was uh a really nice showing by Chris Paul and then, uh, everybody who's bashing the game. I, you know, I, I guess they're entitled to do so, but I don't think uh, as far as all-star games go between baseball, uh, the pro bowl and NBA all-star weekend NBA is top notch as far as I'm concerned compared to the others. The trade deadline for the NBA is Thursday. A lot of rumors going about nothing uh, too blockbuster, but you never know. You know, usually when you don't hear a whole lot, uh, Josh Smith from Atlanta. There's a bunch of people have been thrown around. Uh, Monte Ellis in Milwaukee has been thrown around as a trade. Maybe even Dwight Howard at LA. I'd be shocked if that happened. Uh, we'll find out Thursday. The trade deadline uh, is Thursday, so we'll we'll cover any uh, major trades that happen here on the show next week. Let's take a look at top movies at the box office, starting with number 10, working our way up to number one, Zero Dark 30 at 2.9 million. Hansel and Gretel, that thing is sinking fast like Witch Hunters, 3.5 million. Silver Lining Playbook, 6.2 million. The movie Side Effects at 6.2 million as well. Beautiful Creatures, 7.5 million. The movie Warm Bodies, 8.8 million. Escape from Planet Earth, 15.8 million. Safe Haven at 21.4 million. Identity Theft, 23.6 million. And it's a good day to die hard. Another die hard movie. This one taking in Russia. There were no meteors, apparently. Uh, 24.8 million. The top grossing movie this week at the box office. And uh, a lot of great movies still to come as well. So, uh, you know, we head into the, the, the summer concert series. Or summer concert series. Jeez, you can tell what's on my brain, right? I'm talking about the summer, the movie, the summer movies. Blah. Hey, you know what? Uh, as everyone knows, uh, uh, last Monday, the Pope stepped down, giving his two-week notice to God. And uh, this particular gentleman, uh, Jim Colrick, and his devoted wife come up with a rhyme called G- Christian Swag for all the rapping for Jesus, homage to the original G. All the MCs lived well, but if you live in sin, you burn in hell. What? Jesus is my... <laughs> You make the call on this one. Next week, we have Fiction Reform. We close you with Jesus is my... It seems harder to enjoy the finer things in life. Until next time, do so, everybody. Well, I wrote this song for the Christian youth. I want to teach kids the Christian truth. If you want to reach those kids on the street, then you got to do a rap to a hip-hop beat. So I gave my sermon an urban kick. My rhymes are fly, my beats are sick. My crew is big and it keeps getting bigger. That's cause Jesus Christ is my nigga. Woo! He's a life changer, miracle arranger. Born to the virgin mom in a manger. Water to wine, he's a drink exchanger. And he died for your sins. I preach the word, that's my gig, and I rhyme better than Notorious Big. All the other MCs, I wish them well, but if you live in sin, you burn in hell. Now I'ma pass the mic to my lovely wife, she's a fly MC and the light of my life. So to bust a rhyme without further ado, take it away, Mary Sue. Jesus Christ is my nigga. He's the son of the original G. And he was sent to Earth to elucidate the way that we should be. What? Like if another MC says, you're a freak, you're a lame butt rapper, and your rhymes are weak. I don't get mad, and I don't critique. I forgive him and turn the other cheek. I don't blaspheme, and I don't brag. I don't cuss, and my pants don't sag. I do exude a little Christian swag, and I'm proud to be an American. Jesus Christ is a nigga. Let his light shine through ya. Let his love pop a cap in your butt and say hallelujah. 
Jesus Christ is a nigga. He's a homie MCJC, you see, he's an honest, caring, peace-loving nigga like me. If you do drugs and you think you're cool, you need to come to Sunday school. Put those drugs in a garbage can. Stand up tall, you're a Christian man. Word up. I'm freestyling. Hit me. 